Father, we certainly do need thee every hour. And Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us take a few moments tonight and to think and to recognize that fact. We ask as you guide us through the study of your word that you would be honored and glorified, not only in the time here, not only an increased understanding of your word, but Lord, in a changed life as we leave this place tonight. We thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that song said, that verse is talking about me. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love to sing the old hymns. They are not out of date. Amen. And the answer is to tell it to Jesus. And let's turn to John chapter 15, if you would. We are going through the series, the last night discourses. These are... Just uh, four chapters here, verse, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of the book of John that uh, Jesus gave several little talks. They're all related, of course, and uh, it's amazing just how much he covered as they were walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I, I, don't ha- I cannot talk much with you. I imagine, based on the little window that we see here, that Jesus was constantly teaching the disciples. And he did not water it down. He did not make it so that... Uh, Uh, They would understand what he said. He gave it to them full strength, things that they could not possibly understand. And he explained, the Holy Spirit's going to bring these things to remembrance and give you a fuller understanding after I'm gone. And I will tell you that that is an approach that I I encourage uh, every person I deal with. They say, how do you teach people who don't know their Bible, what you teach the Bible. And you pray that the Holy Spirit will give them an understanding because that's the only place you're going to get it. Amen. Uh, You're not going to get an understanding because you're so smart or because you've read all the commentaries. The only way you can truly understand God's word is through the work of the Holy Spirit living within you. And we come here to John chapter 15 and it's just amazing how eager the commentaries are to gut this passage of all real meaning. And let's just start reading in chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me... Ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Now, What we have is Jesus using a picture here, an illustration, uh, not really a a full-blown parable as we might say, but he is using this figurative language. He says, I am the true vine. Now, how many of you have ever grown grapes? Okay, we've got one. Anybody else? Uh, Grapes are very, very difficult to manage. How many of you have ever been out in the woods and seen the wild grapevines hanging from the trees? Anybody ever 
See, I mean, sometimes you'll have grapevines big around as small trees just hanging on the branches. And uh, there are many uh, other passages in here and many applications of the vineyard, but Jesus is simply saying, listen, I am the true vine. Now, as we investigate that, if he has to delineate or uh, make a difference here, he says, I am the true vine. Does that not tell us that there are vines out there that aren't true? Amen? I mean, that, that shouldn't be a startling discovery. Jesus said, listen, there's going to be many who come in my name and say they are me. There's going to be many antichrists. That is the spirit of antichrist. It is not someone who comes and says, Jesus never came, he, dead, he was dead, or he's only a man, he's not the son of God, or any of these other things. The spirit of antichrist is imitating or claiming to be Christ. That's what is going to happen in the book of Revelation is a man is going to show up. The Bible rightly calls him the beast. He's not even worthy of humanity, but his greatest act is he is going to deceive the world into thinking that he is Christ come to earth. The world is going to believe him and worship him. In fact, he's going to have a resurrection. It's amazing. How many of you have read... uh, uh, There's just lots of incredible stories out there that people write. And uh, people sometimes... I'm not a real big fiction guy. I I like facts. Uh, I like what really happens. But you know what? There is not, that I know of, a major fiction story out there, one of the ones they like turning into movies, that doesn't have some kind of resurrection involved in it. You know what? I found out Captain America got resurrected. We were on an airplane, and they played that stupid drivel uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, the TV show was bad enough. There was no sound because I was not going to plug in my headphones. But guess what? There's a resurrection in there. The guy dies. He gets burned up in the incinerator or whatever it is, and they bring him back to life. Why do people believe in that? Let me tell you, the world is getting ready for the Antichrist. And when he is resurrected, read Hebrews 13, they're all going to go. It's real. And fall at his feet and worship him as God. It's going to happen. But Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now that little word T-H-E is important, my friend. It means a unique one. It means specific. It means in exclusion to everything else. Jesus said, I am the true vine. There is nothing else out there that offers life that is true. And yet every advertisement, Every gadget they're getting you to try to buy for Christmas. It's to make your life better, isn't it? I mean, if you could only smell the right way, that perfect person would just materialize out of thin air and lock onto you and you would have your perfect soulmate for all eternity. Is that true? Absolutely not. The ones that just make me angry are all the people having fun smoking cigarettes. Why won't they make... Well, Mayor Bloomberg's actually made some ads that are a little almost too realistic. But let me tell you something. The right car, the right iPad, the right 
whatever else is out there, the right smells, the right food, will only make you fatter, older, and more encumbered with things to carry in your briefcase. Amen? If you want life, we just finished it, I've come to give you life, and that life more abundantly. He said, I'm leaving you peace, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Jesus has just finished this discourse. It's connected to the next one. He's saying, if you're going to get this peace, if you're going to have it, you've got to be connected. He said, I'm the only place you can go. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. People say, well, what about all the other religions? What about them? Jesus already answered that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is just reiterating that I am the true vine. And then he makes another statement. And my father is the husbandman. Now he just got done saying, I'm going to the father. He said, if you understood what that meant, you would rejoice, but you're not going to rejoice. You're going to be sad. You're going to, you're going to sorrow. In fact, you're going to hide yourselves in fear because you're afraid that somehow something is going to happen to you that happened to me, but I'm going to the Father, and if I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit's coming. It's going to get better. Do you understand what Jesus was saying to the disciples? He's saying it is far better to have the Holy Spirit living in you than to walk alongside of me as I teach you and have trained you. We have so much more. And we get so much less done. You see, in him is life. And that life is the light of men. Amen? And yet the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. You've got to be careful of how you are connected. He says, my father is the husbandman. Now that husbandman, uh, I looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, and one of the definitions was a husband. I mean, today sometimes you got to, Define that. I mean, people were trying to change the meaning. The word husbandman used in your King James Bible is not talking about that. It's talking about someone who is married to the land. A farmer. That's what the word means. It's someone whose life and living is attached to the earth. How many of you have ever had a chance to visit a farm, a real farm? What's the first thing you notice about a real farm? It stinks. Right? I mean, dirt doesn't smell good. And what you have to do to the dirt to make it good smells even worse. I like the story of the city slicker and... He's going out there, and of course it was the spring of the year, and the farmer was spreading the manure on the field, and and uh, he's stopping and asking, he said, man, it stinks here. And the farmer just looked at him and said, smells like money to me. Because he's going to grow those crops, and that's how he's going to get his life. And that's where the term husband man came from. It means a farmer. And the caretaker, the one who is responsible for the planting, the nurturing, and the harvest. The one who is going to gain the benefit. The one who is responsible for the vineyard. Vineyards don't grow on their own. It's interesting. You can take a grapevine 
and just let it go wild for a couple of years and it's totally worthless. In fact, uh, this earlier this year, I was at my grandmother's house. We were trying to clean it up and get uh, where my mother had lived and we were trying to get it all ready so my brother could sell it and and uh, there was grandma's old grapevine. I mean, she made quarts and quarts of jelly and juice and all that. Never made any wine. Uh, alcoholic kind. Lots of juice and lots of jellies and all of that. And there was the, uh, the, the old trellis rotten to the ground with the vines hanging off of it. And I mean, the grapes on there weren't hardly big around as your finger, little fingernail. You know why? Hadn't been pruned. Hadn't been taken care of. It was all vine. No fruit. You go out into the woods and you'll find the wild grapevines and you'll find a huge root that will stretch 30 and 40 feet up into a tree. When I was a kid, my dad would take us out and we always look for those and cut them off and use them for swings and just uh, dangle back and forth. Just make sure you don't allow it to swing you back into the tree. That could hurt. Um, but... At the very top, if you look, there'll be these few very little tiny grapes way up there in the top branches. I asked my dad about them one time. He said, oh, those things are only good for the birds. He said, if you want grapes, you got to work at it. You got to keep the vine on the ground. You got to constantly prune it. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the true vine. My father is the husband man. He's the one that's responsible here, the caretaker. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may be more fruitful. Now, these are the responsibilities of the husband man. He goes through, and if a branch is getting too thick on the vine, it's, it, what it does is it robs the, uh, the juices in the vine, the fluid that flows up there, and it just goes to making bark. That has to be cut off. That way, the nutrients that are in the vine, what it's able to draw up through the soil, ends up in the grapes, not in producing worthless wood. Also, the branches that are producing fruit have to be pruned back every year. Otherwise, they'll get thicker and thicker until they stop producing fruit. In fact, it's interesting. If you don't prune the branches, they'll almost become like the vine, except for one thing. They don't produce anything. They just rob the goodness of everything else that's going on. That's why it's the responsibility of the husbandman, the vineyard keeper, to go through and to constantly prune and watch. This is what is going on. Jesus is not making, well, we hope that this will happen someday. He's saying this is what is going on. I am the true vine. I'm here my father, God the Father, is the husbandman. He is pruning and taking care of this vine. Then comes a strange verse. Look with me, verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now, how did that get in there? Jesus didn't even explain, he doesn't explain where we come into this picture until the next verse. He's giving them a picture. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husband man. He is going through and performing the duties of the keeper of the vineyard in pruning the branches that are bringing forth fruit so that they will bring forth more. And getting rid of those branches that aren't working so that there will be uh, uh, an efficiency there that the greatest fruit production will happen. The interest of this entire thing is that the vine will produce for the benefit of the vineyard keeper. 
Not a complicated thing. We see it go on all the time in every type of horticulture. You engaged in horticulture to gain a profit, to gain the fruit. And you would be foolish not to do, not to learn what to do so that you could get the most fruit from your tree. Amen? Or your vine. God is already doing that. No one needs to instruct him. This is what's happening. And then all of a sudden, Jesus throws us in. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. You see, a lot of people want to go to verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. And make that a conditional agreement with God. Do you get what, what I'm saying there? They want to go to verse 4 and say that Jesus is saying, Now I want you to abide in me so I can abide in you, and therefore you can produce fruit. I, I'm, I'm not buying into that one. I'm sorry. You see, then they go on to describe fruit. And they have a different definition than what's in the Bible. I've heard this passage preached that uh, if you're going to be saved, you're going to produce fruit. Well, it says much fruit here. I think that's part of it, but that certainly can't be the sum total of it. Because not everybody leads somebody to the Lord every day. In fact, sometimes it takes many years of patient work to see just a little bit of fruit. And yet, that's not what this passage is talking about. Could I exp uh, give you this? How did you get saved, my friend? If you're here tonight and you are saved, you are saved through the word that Jesus has spoken. And when you get saved, what else do you get? Clean? Do you get clean when you get saved? Uh, do you still sin after you are saved? How many of you wish you didn't? Every hand ought to go up on that one. Well, then how can Jesus say, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, talking about salvation? It's because positionally in Christ, the moment of salvation, you are forgiven for every sin that has ever sinned, both past, present, and future. Can we have a big amen on that one? Your salvation is not dependent upon your ability to remember every sin and confess it to God. If it were, no flesh would be saved. Your salvation is dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he saves you from all sin. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful truth? Now, we can't use that as an excuse to go out and commit sin. That's against the scriptures. But don't let the devil trip you up into believing because you have sinned since you were saved or you're struggling with temptation since you have been saved, that God is shocked and he can't use you and he's done with you. That's not what it's talking about. If we, what, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what that's talking about is God is giving you an opportunity to come to him and admit your sins and get it straightened out with God. Doesn't it feel wonderful when you're able to straighten things out? I mean, when we deal with other human beings, there are sometimes you could talk to them all day long and you will never, ever straighten out the situation. You ever been there? That's an awful place to be. God says, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and talk to me knowing that I'm going to make things right. 
I'm going to clean the slate and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Because why? Because when I save you, you're eternally saved. And of course, making that statement is not based upon this text right here. It's based upon many other passages of the scripture because the Bible does not contradict the Bible. Amen. And Jesus, when he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, he is talking about the relationship that the disciples, Judas is no longer there, have with the Lord Jesus Christ. They have believed on him through his word. Now he makes the statement, abide in me. You see, you're abiding in Christ is the result of your salvation. Amen? That's what happens when you get saved. The word abide simply means to remain without going away, to stay. When you get saved, where are you staying? In Christ. Amen. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Your salvation is not dependent upon what you do. It's dependent upon what Jesus Christ has already finished. Not at this point yet. He was going to finish it just the next day on the cross. And then three days later at the empty tomb... Jesus was going to seal all of these things and finish the work of our salvation. He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There's a relationship there. Now I want you to abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. How many of you have ever cut open a little branch on a, on a tree or a grapevine like this? I'll tell you what, it's an interesting look, is it not? You see, we always think about branches just sticking out of the tree. And if we were to pull out our little pocket knife and cut open that, to cut that branch off of the tree that it's just right there. No, do you realize that that branch goes all the way to the very heart of the tree? If you've ever seen finished lumber, look around on the pews and things like that. Every once in a while, you'll see a little round dot. You know what that was? That was a place where there was a branch. And they cut through the wood and the branch was there. Now, most lumber is desirable not to have knots in it. Because they don't finish quite as well as the rest of the wood. And sometimes they'll chip and, and other things. But the, the whole illustration of this point here is that we to, our, to abide in Christ. And Christ will abide in us as the branch abides in the vine. Guess what? The branch didn't just walk down the street and say, hey, I'd like to attach myself over here. Let's grow into this tree. No. How do you get attached to the true vine? Through the word that I have spoken unto you. Jesus has spoken through his words it goes down into the very heart. You cannot just have a branch hanging on the side of the tree. It has to tap into that central root in order for the nutrients to be pulled up through the root and out through the branch to make all the wonderful things that that branch makes. I mean, have you ever thought of how dirt and water are transformed into grape juice that's so sweet, if you're a diabetic, it'll put you in the hospital. Have you ever figured that out? I haven't. 
It doesn't make sense to me, but I sure like the way it works. And Jesus is giving us a statement here. He's giving us a command, abide in me, don't go anywhere. By the way, in the light of other scriptures, if you can go anywhere, are you in Christ? Hello? Uh Uh-uh. If you're in, you're in. Why are you in? Because Christ put you there. How do you stay in? Because he will keep you there. Well, then what's all this thing about bearing fruit? And, and, uh, you know, we have this idea that I can be a Christian and not have anything happen in my life. I want to challenge you, that type of Christianity is foreign to the scriptures. And this discourse that Jesus is giving is explaining this thing. Now, the Bible does tell us that we can quench the Spirit of God, that we can be disobedient, that we can... Stop producing fruit and God will have to punish us. Read the gospel, uh, the epistle of 1 John. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that God took some of those people and it says many slept in the Corinthian church. It was not talking about taking a nap. It was talking about Ananias and Sapphira kind of sleep. I mean, dead. Uh, Does that sound like Chopping the branches off, maybe maybe that's what it's talking about there. But I'll tell you what, there's an awful lot more people out there that claim to be in Christ that aren't abiding in him because they were never saved. They didn't obey his words. But they talk like they're Christians. They act like they're Christians. They pretend to be Christians. Maybe in their own mind they even think they are Christians. But they're not. Now, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, what we see here is we do not abide to get Christ to abide in us. This is what happens. If we are abiding in Christ, Christ is abiding in us. And his work, just as the life flows up through the vine and through the branch to produce fruit, if we are in Christ and Christ in us, that's what's going to happen. Well, then, what is the fruit that is being spoken of? Well, how about we go to Galatians chapter 5? How many know what's in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit. Do you think that might be the fruit that Jesus was talking about here that we ought to produce? If we're in Christ, we're to produce much fruit. He already told the disciples, if ye love me, John chapter 14, what? Keep my commandments. Amen? Well... Let's look at John chapter, I mean Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, is that a commandment of Christ? Yes? Joy? Uh, yeah, that's a commandment of Christ. We're to have joy. Peace, my peace, give I unto you, not as the world giveth. How about long suffering? You say, what is that? Exactly what it says. It's putting up with other people. Suffering long. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering toward us, Word? 
But if he's living in us, what are we going to do for others? Long suffer toward them. And you know what? That is what makes a church work. We do not get along because we have such great, wonderful people that we just have to be a part. No, we get along because the Holy Spirit of God gives us the ability to put up with one another, pastor included. Don't say too big amen on that one. But the simple truth is that's the way it works. You know, there are people out there, if you meet them, what was that one country singer, to know me is to love me, I'm perfect in every way. I think he lies about a lot of other things too. How about you? But see, if I'm part of, if I'm abiding in divine and Christ is abiding in me and you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, guess what? That sounds like a good formula for long-suffering, does it not? Amen? Okay, let's keep going. We've got just a few minutes here and we'll be done. How about gentleness? Oh, boy. I think we could all use a little more of that. But to be gentle with another human being. To be by nature a gentle man or a gentle woman. That used to actually mean something. It meant that you were cultured and you were able to think about more than just yourself. The gentleman was an actual class of people in England. They were not of the peasant or of the working variety. Their income was settled so that their life was spent in providing and making it easier for the people who lived on their property to earn a living and have a good life. Now, when the word gentle is being used, that's what it's talking about. It's helping other people. It's providing for others. It's like walking through a a difficult path. And clearing the brambles out of the way, the briars and the thorns and and the branches that would trip those that are following behind you and making it easy for them to follow you. That's, That's what the word gentleness means. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. Amen? Goodness, faith, meekness. Got to stop on meekness for a minute. Well, faith is believing God's word. How many of us could just use a little more believing God's word? It's believing God's word to the point you act upon. It only happens as the Holy Spirit produces. See, life comes through the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. The branch only has life as it's attached to the vine. It's not a process. The the branch is not attached so it can have life. It's attached because it's part of the vine and it shares the life of the vine. And as the life of the vine comes through that branch, it makes the branch sprout leaves and produce the fruit. And then the caretaker, the husbandman comes And he clips off those little things, leaders that would pull away from the branch, and he cuts back the branch so that it will grow in the way that it ought to grow. Goodness, faith, meekness. You know what meekness is? How many of you remember from our Sermon on the Mount series, meekness? Meekness is operating under the authority of another. My favorite example, NYPD. That police officer can walk out on the street and hold up his or her hand and say stop in an 80,000 pound semi rolling down the street. Stops. 
Does that police officer have the force to stop that truck? No. 80,000 to even 200 pounds is just really not sufficient force to stop a truck. But operating under the authority of that uniform and badge, that truck driver knows that whatever he has to do to get that truck stopped, he better get it done in, in a hurry. As a believer in Christ, we are to operate under the authority of Almighty God, fruit of the Spirit, the natural result of the branch abiding in the vine. Do you see the connection between these things? And temperance. Why is meekness and temperance the last two? Because they're the last two you get. I mean, our human nature does not want to operate fully under the influence of the authority of God. It's got things that it wants to do. I have no understanding as to why we haven't found a solid place to meet, Brother Mike. I just don't. But you want me to tell you something? Uh, Meekness means we need to operate under the direction of God and let him carry that burden so we don't get ulcers and all kinds of other things. But I mean... And it's easy for me to talk because it all happened here a long time ago. And, and there's not much we can do to make it easier for Brother Mike except pray for him. But he's got to learn to abide under the authority and the direction of God even if it doesn't make a lick of sense. Because it's God that's doing this. You know what temperance is? Temperance is the ability to flex without breaking. It is moderation. I tell you, you, we, we do not live in a day where the sword does very much. But in the olden days when it was the primary weapon, a real sword was a work of art. Because in this day, the Romans had a simple steel sword. It was not, it was a lot closer to what we call cast iron today than actual steel. And it would shatter fairly easily. Well, somebody in, I guess, in the city of Damascus had invented something called Damascus steel, which was very thin layers hammered together, tempered. You had a Damascus steel blade, you could shatter the blade of your enemy with a solid stroke. Tell you what, how many times have you seen a life that was pressed And all of a sudden, they just went, boom. No temperance. The only way you stand the storms of life is because the life is in the vine flowing through the branches. It's not a process of I'm abiding in Christ, so he'll abide in me, and maybe one day I'll produce fruit. No, it is the result of what happens when he speaks his words, you believe in them, you get saved, positionally you are clean, you are grafted in, you are abiding in Christ whether you want to be or not. The question is, if you don't want to be, why you didn't get saved in the first place? Amen. And when it talks about back in our passage, let's go back to our passage. Just pick up these little words here. Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth. What are those next two words? Will you read those out loud? As a branch. It doesn't say he was a branch on this vine and cut off and thrown away. It says he's cast forth as a branch. He's never connected in the first place. A man has to choose to abide in Christ. When you believe God's word and get saved, he puts you in when you refuse. 
you're thrown away just like a branch. You see, you can't lose your salvation. We know that from other passages because Jesus said, I give unto them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Whosoever believeth on him, what? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those two little words, as a, is kind of important in here. Or you're going to miss the point and you're going to think that this is a provisional thing. And we come down here and it says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. I mean, every Pentecostal preacher and TBN freak out there says, now listen, if you abide in Christ, you make an agreement with him, he'll make an agreement with you. And if you work it out right, you get that brand new car and the fur coat and everything you ever wanted. I even heard one of those blasphemous people say, well, God didn't answer me the first time, so I yelled a little louder and then he finally gave me that brand new Lincoln. Frederick K. Price actually said that. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't heard it. I didn't think anybody was that stupid. You're going to yell at God and get a favorable response? Don't try that in my house. Because that's not being respectful and worshipful. That's not bearing forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. That's treating God as your servant. He's not your servant, my friend. He is the caretaker of the vine and the life is in the vine and you have the life because you believed the words and were attached to the vine and you're abiding and that much fruit that is being brought forth in your life is your life being made like unto Jesus Christ. And it takes a little longer for some than it does for others. Amen? See, that's why he says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, if you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you, we have that vine branch relationship. The life that is in you is the life that Jesus Christ is giving you. Guess what's going to happen to the things you pray about? Will they be your things or his things? Well, wait a minute. If the life is coming from the vine, then they ought to be the demands of the vine. Maybe you would learn that meekness and temperance to start praying for the things, faith and goodness and gentleness, start praying for the things that God wanted in the first place. Does that line up with the rest of Scripture? Yeah, it really does. Because you see, we don't know how to pray for the things as we ought to. Romans chapter 8. It's the Spirit itself that maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Amen. You see, Jesus in these few... I mean, if you just get it here. I, uh, he deals with every part of the Christian life in four chapters. It's absolutely amazing here. And how does he finish this passage here? I'm sorry, we'll be done here. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Here's the fruit, the definition of the fruit, just in case you were wondering if I was correct. So shall ye be my disciples. How do we be his disciples? By being like him. How do we be like him? Well, it's the Holy Spirit working in him. Where do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, it comes from being attached to the vine. How do we get attached to the vine? Now ye are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and decide to stop, you're going to be cast forth as a branch because you never really were a real one. Read Romans 10, 9 and 10. It talks about the true tree and 
the wild branches being grafted in. That's talking about you and I as non-Jewish believers. We, we are the wild branches that were grafted in. How? Through the word which he has spoken. What does our life do? Our life comes from the vine. And guess what it produces? It produces a truer form of Christianity than those who were actually born of the seed of Abraham which have refused to take their life from the true vine. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, just ask that you would ingrain into our hearts and minds the truth of these verses. Lord, we are just such poor examples of true Christianity. In fact, it seems the harder we try, the bigger mess we make. And yet, Lord, if we'll just stop trying to go anywhere, if we'll abide, you'll do the work. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to abide. Lord, to realize that all the relationship we'll ever need with Christ was gained the day we called upon the Lord and asked to be saved. And again, the problem is not you, it is us. Lord, help us to keep that lifeline open between the vine and the branch. Help us to understand that the things you do in our life is so that we can be more like Christ. Lord, I pray that not a one of us in this room here tonight would step back from our obedience to Christ, but just let your life flow from the vine into the branch that we may bring forth the fruit that you have designed for us, the fruit of the Spirit. And yes, Lord, we want to see other branches grafted in. But the fruit you're talking about is the fruit that makes us look more like you. Lord, I pray that you would work in each heart and soul tonight to give us what we need to serve you, to bring forth that fruit, even though it may be purging. And Lord, work. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano playing. Keep your-